Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Welcome to another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do, where we bring you really interesting interviews with entrepreneurs who are doing cool things, and today is no different, because today I've got Jason Kotecki on the podcast, and Jason is an artist and a speaker and the author of several books, including the new one, Penguins Can't Fly, and 39 Other Rules That Don't Exist. Now, Jason and his wife, Kim, who, as I read his bio, let me, let me step away here. I met Kim and Jason together, and Kim is really the brains behind the operation, but she's not on this show, so we'll just let you know that the real smarts going on here is with Kim. Anyway, Kim is a former kindergarten teacher, and the two are the dynamic duo behind Escape Adulthood, and they're the founders of Cure Adult-Itis Institute. In their crusade to annihilate adult-itis, they inspire and encourage people to design their lives with less stress and more fun. As a speaker, Jason empowers organizations and individuals to drive innovation, prevent burnout, and achieve new levels of productivity. Jason, this is my favorite part of his bio, Jason is a Batman fan, a Star Wars watcher, a retro t-shirt wearer, and an avid eater of sugar-laden cereals. I personally love Frosted Flakes, so I'm there with you, Jason. And he is the father of three kids. He lives with his family in beautiful Madison, Wisconsin, where they enjoy long walks by the lake and eat way too many cheese curds. Another aside, I had my first cheese curd about a year ago, and those are like crack. They're like the most delicious (laughs) thing ever. And you guys in Wisconsin, you hide them. You don't export them. It's like, like, no, don't send them to Texas because they'll find out about the cheese curd. Just keep them here. Well, you guys got enough good food down there. Now, did you have the, do you have the fried one or the, just the fresh squeaky ones? There's fried cheese curds? Oh, yeah. My God, that's like, that's like taking crack and putting sugar on it. Exactly. Oh, my God. Right. I did not know that they fried them. I just had the squeaky ones. And that was the trick is make your teeth squeak and they taste better. That's how that's how you know they're fresh if they squeak. Well, little, it, little it was like there. it was like a, a handful of mice in my mouth. <laughs> so, Jason, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you, Tom. It's good to be here. I, I I I think we can both agree about our wives. We both married up without question. So, hey, you know, I I can get these formal bios from the people who are on who are on my show, and it's funny because like you and I have been friends for several years. I, I met Jason through the National Speakers Association. We both got our CSPs, the Certified Speaking Professional designation. To together last summer. In fact, we were roommates at the CSP conference that took place earlier this year. And so, you know, I get to read these bios and it's like, he's a Superman t-shirt wearer and, you know, blah, 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 blah. But why don't you tell everybody what you really do? What I really do? Well, I, as you said, I'm, I'm an artist. I think I'm an artist first, but yeah, I incorporate that into speaking and writing. Basically what Kim and I do together is we're on a crusade to fight adultitis, whether that's in uh, people's personal lives how to make their lives better, but also organizations that I speak to, try to work with them to, like you said, get the, get the burnout out of there, help with innovation, kind of free up some of the blocks that we, we often have. So we try to have fun with it. Basically what we do is we take some of the wisdom from childhood that we all knew so well when we were kids, but sort of let go of in our mad dash to be responsible, serious adults. And Try to figure out what what is the good stuff because obviously there's a difference between being childlike and childish. 
<laughs> and uh, I like to focus on being uh, childlike when I can. Um, and so it's like, yeah, so what are the things? You know, I know you talked in the past about curiosity. That's one of the biggest things that kids are experts at that I think is, is a key for us adults as well. Yeah, I have found that curiosity is like this magic bullet that like all of a sudden it's like once you start getting more curious again, you know, things start coming your way. It's like, well, people ask, how, how did you ever achieve that? Or how did you get that opportunity? I'm like, I don't know. I asked a question. Yeah, I'm, I'm addicted. I found I'm addicted to having this fancy gadget, you know, that smartphone in your pocket that has the Internet, because now it's I, I think I'm like, why? Why do they do that? Or where did that come from? Or who was that guy in that movie? And then you can find out immediately. I can't imagine. I don't even remember when I was not able to do that, but I'm very grateful that smart people figured out how to make that a reality. It's like magic to me. And, and that it comes settles up a lot of bets between me and my brothers on sports things. <laughs> well, that comes up a lot at dinner parties. Somebody says, Oh no, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio was the star of that movie. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it was so-and-so. And, and this big argument of Susan, somebody just pulls out their phone and goes, Nope, it was Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. And it's like settled. And I actually asked the question at a dinner party the other day. I said, what did we used to do before people had smartphones? <laughs> we just, Argued about stupid stuff for too long. <laughs> well, they said that the answer was we argued until somebody convinced the other person they were right. And often they weren't, but somebody just sort of conceded. Yeah, everyone just gave up like, all right, whatever. <laughs> so, Jason, I want to back up. You tossed out the word adultitis and it comes up in your bio. But I'm imagining that some people who are listening are like, what are they talking about? Tell us what's adultitis. Well, adultitis, I, I have, you know, like a big, long winding definition I, I say in my speaking gigs that I, I say it really, really fast and it gets a very, very impressive reaction from the audience. But basically, it's what happens when you forgot what it was like to be a kid. It's that that thing that makes you take yourself way too seriously. It's the thing that stops you from asking questions and being curious. It's, it's you know, uh, we came up with the, the term about uh, 2005, I think, and we just were like, we need to have a name for this. Like, what is that that thing when you're an adult? That's all the the, for lack of a better word, the icky part. So we're going to get technical here. The icky part of being an adult. <laughs> what is that? You know, and we're like, I think it's adultitis. And the coolest thing about it. Okay, so I'm not a I'm not a medical person. I'm I, I figured, okay, adultitis. It sounds like some sort of terrible disease. I had an opportunity several years ago to interview Seth Godin for a magazine we were doing. And one of the things he just casually pointed out in the way that he does is like, you, you do know that adultitis means literally swelling of the adult. And, you know, itis, as I came to learn, is like, yeah, that means swelling of it. And I'm like, you know what? That is brilliant. That is, that's exactly what it is. It's when you have too much adult. And you're over, over swollen with adult. So, so does that, that mean? Does that mean that some of some of our fellow professional speakers have egoitis? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> some have both. Yeah, egoitis <laughs> and adultitis. So, did you ever have? You've been working for yourself for a long time, writing books and speaking and and doing other things. Did you ever have a real like corporate job? Um. No, not well. I love the I love the pause. He's like, let's see, was there ever a bank or an insurance? I guess it depends what you call corporate and real. I don't, you know, like so. When I graduated college for a brief time, I worked for a newspaper where I did very low level design and and did farm auction ads and boring stuff like that. But um, I knew pretty much early on that I was kind of unemployable. So 
So what led you then to say goodbye newspaper and my low-level design job with a low-level paycheck and hello world of entrepreneurship? Well, let's see. I, I went to school for art, for illustration. And right before I was actually in school, there were still staff positions available for illustrators. And then that all went away. So I knew when I was in school, my only, my only option pretty much was to be a freelancer, uh, self-employed person. And so that's, that was not a surprise. I did the, the newspaper job in the meantime, the year b- between I graduated and got married while Kim was still in school. It was kind of like a pay the bills while I'm getting my, my feet off the ground. Um, however, the year that I spent doing freelance illustration and design and websites and logos, I realized I was someone else was still being my boss. And we'd be like, oh, make this bigger, make this a different color. And I was like, ah, oh, this is for the birds. So it was like, it was like a, a progression of like, holy cow, I really need to be calling the shots here. And uh, yeah, and even though, you know, now we get hired by meeting planners and things just like you, there are certain things that they want us to do or not do. They're just, it feels like there's a little bit more freedom over what I get to present and, and how I want to market myself. Oh, yeah. And if I don't want to take a particular engagement, I don't have to. And, right. And that sort of thing. So. Well, and, and I sort of look at it that, you know, for the, the best planners who are out there who put on events, they look at the speaker as a partner. You know, right. I, I, I worked with someone one time who really looked at me as a vendor, like you're a vendor, go get in your place over there with the vendors. And <laughs> it, it was not a win-win situation. But I think the best planners really do look at us as partners. So I think you are right. It's it's not really the same as, as a job job, even though, you know, you have to deliver what they expect. Right. But I think it's much more of a partnership than a, than a boss type situation. Yeah. So what do you absolutely love about, you know, you and Kim and, and the kids having this business where essentially you get to call your own shots? What do you love about the life of an entrepreneur? Uh, freedom by far. Freedom is our is I think our biggest value of all. Um, so, yeah, being able to do what I want to do, be able to take days off. I want to do go where I want to go. Um, you know, we we happen to, to homeschool. So we have freedom from a, a normal school schedule. I'm like a freedom junkie, Tom. So um, <laughs> the more freedom I have, the better. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of what really gets us excited. Um, but as you know, with much freedom comes much responsibility. So there, are, there's that side of it too. So what advice do you have for somebody who's thinking freedom? That's what I want. He he just hit the thing. I don't have any freedom. I want to go start my own business. What do yeah. you tell him? What advice? Well, well, I think there's the uh, you know you listen to a lot of podcasts. You you're well read. There's there is a school of thought. I think there's this romantic notion of like you just gotta quit your job, you gotta go for it, you gotta take the leap, man. And I think that's maybe not the whole picture. Um, I you know especially you know it depends where you are in your life. So like when Kim and I first got married, we didn't have kids. We lived in a crappy apartment. We didn't have a very high um, uh, lifestyle to support. So we could do a little bit more leaping and a little bit more risking than say someone who might be 45 and has a mortgage and three kids. <laughs> like when um, I, like when I did it. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe a little bit more challenging, um, in a lot of ways, but I guess the advice I would have regardless is something I like to, to call tinkering, which is trying things, experimenting with things without any regard for the outcome. I think, uh, something about adultitis, something about when we get older, we kind of feel like we need to have everything figured out before we even begin And that's just not realistic. Um, And so I think is starting, so, you know, if it's someone who has a job, a corporate job or whatever, and they want to do something else, uh, 
you don't need to quit the corporate job tomorrow and risk your family's future. You can start the side hustle. You can experiment with a few things, see what takes off, and build it to a point where when you get, you know, to a point where it's too hard to do both, that's when you can kind of take the leap. But I think a lot of people are just kind of paralyzed that they either need to jump all whole hog in or they don't even start because they feel like they have to have every step and know exactly how it's going to go, which, you know, any entrepreneur will tell you, you you just, you know, a business plan is good to get you thinking, but even the venture capitalists will never, will never assume that this, this business plan is exactly how it's going to go, you know? Well, and when I when I started, I, I did my speaking career on the side for a long time, and people asked me how I was able to make it take off. I said, "Well, I got laid off, and there wasn't any jobs in two thousand nine, so I had I had to go full steam." And you know, doing it on the side, while I was never able to make it take off as a side venture, what it did was it gave me a foundation. I knew what worked, I knew what didn't work. That when then I did jump in full time, there wasn't a lot of surprise. I think one of the mistakes, and, and you sort of brought that up, is a lot of people think, "Oh, I've just got to quit my job and jump in," and they really don't know what the realities of running a business in, in that industry is, even if they worked in that industry. But right. certainly if they're, if they're making that leap, you know, I, I'm really honest with people. I tell people we hemorrhaged cash for two years. I mean, we had a, we had a plan and we thought we knew what I would be able to earn and we, we didn't come close. And, you know, fortunately, you know, I had already, I wasn't starting at zero cause I'd had it as a side business or it might've taken longer, but mm-hmm. you know, you have to be realistic, right? It's, it's not a, it's not an easy go and it's not for everybody. Right. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, my dad uh, flirted. He he works at a lumberyard now. He's almost ready to retire. But he was a contractor for a while. And he his personality type was just not the one that could deal with the uncertainty of entrepreneurship. And um, I think, you know, that's fine. Like, not everyone's wired to be an entrepreneur. Um, he he's, does, he's great at what he does. And I think he would have been a really good entrepreneur. But, um, you know, for me... I feel like I, yeah, I don't, I don't always know. I don't have the steady, secure paycheck that, or that comes with a lot of people, but um, I feel more comfortable knowing I have more control over it than trusting, you know, decision makers above me who might be doing stupid things and then it jeopardizes everything and, and you don't have any control over that. So that's kind of a, a perspective, I guess, how you, how you, choose to look at it. No, I, I, I fully agree with you. So I've got a lot more questions for you, Jason, but first I've got to thank our sponsor and our sponsor for this episode, as for so many is Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your podcast. Podfly sets you up with the right equipment, training and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing cool people like Jason Katecki. For an exclusive offer to the people who listen to cool things entrepreneurs do, just visit podfly.net slash cool things. And I always tell people that I never could have started this show, never would have got going if I had to worry about how do I become a sound editor. It's hard enough for me to, you know, schedule people like Jason to, to come on the show and for me to, to work on the questions and do the homework that I have to do before I interview somebody, much less than after I'm done having an hour or more of time trying to edit the episode. So Podfly makes this show a reality. So I thank them not only for being my, uh, my production company, but for also coming on and sponsoring the show. 
show. They've been very helpful in helping me grow my audience. So Jason, before we get into a couple other questions about what you're doing today, you know, you've come along, you know, the speaking business I, I've heard and, and I repeat it often is the easiest business to get into and the hardest business to have longevity. But you've been doing it for a long time, probably close to a decade or more. So yep. as you entered a business, it's hard because you're the product. Did you have any mentors along the way? How did, how did you really make this happen? What did you do to, to find success? Uh, that's a good question. Oh, yeah, of course. There's a lot of people, a lot of mentors. Um, I suppose one of the first ones, you know, so we, we had an, an unusual path. I started out uh, with, focused on the art and I did a comic strip for a while. And so I would get asked to do cartooning workshops in schools. And uh, so, I would, you know, teach kids how to write jokes and uh, nothing better than five, fifth grade jokes, let me tell you. Um, but, uh, you know, do stuff like that, how to, how to craft the timing and all that. And so I got pretty good at holding the attention of, of different ages of kids. And then there were churches that came calling that there was one particular church that wanted me to do a family program that kind of incorporated the cartooning message and had a, another message with it. And when we got done with that, it was like I was, I was smitten. I had some guy, some dad who was dragged there by his wife, comes up afterwards all sheepish and was like, I, I really got a lot out of that. You know, he wasn't supposed to. You know, he was surprised by it. And you know, Tom, when you get those guys, they get their arms crossed and they just give you a little nod at the end. That's the equivalent of a standing ovation for some people. So I had someone um, come up to me the other day after a speech and say, you were really good. And I said, well, thank you. And they go, I was not expecting that. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. did, we have, did we have to add that part? <laughs> yeah, it is funny. They mean it as a compliment, but it doesn't always sound so good. Uh, yeah, so so then I my, I guess my first mentor there was a woman who said who we met in the the mar, in the market of she she actually worked in a church and said you know if you can put together a program that you can hold the attention of kids and adults and and do a message there are churches all over that would hire you and so we're like oh okay so we did that and that's how we were able to start making a living um, doing that for a couple years and then that sort of gave way to doing associations and corporate now I do you know very little in the church market, but it's, it was kind of my, my starting ground. But very early on there, a guy, I know, you know, Mike Domich, he's a, he's a fellow speaker here in Wisconsin with us. And, uh, he's been a guest on cool things, entrepreneurs. Well, so like you, so so like you, he's cool. He's cool. So he's a, he's a few years ahead of me and we took him out to lunch one time. And one of the first things he said was, you got to, you know, you got to double your fee. And, you know, Kim and I about choked because we, well, at the time we were making, they are, we were charging more for the freaking travel than we did for our fee because we were just so excited that <laughs> someone would literally it. pay me to go to Seattle. I'm like, like really? I want to go to Seattle. You'll pay me to go there. That's awesome. <laughs> so that was, that was a good advice from him. But then the, one of the other things he said is you need to get to an NSA convention. It will shave years off your learning curve. And, and NSA and, is the National Speakers Association. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, what was the line Ron Culberson had, our president, a couple years ago? We're the organization that speaks, not the one that listens. <laughs> That's right, as opposed to the other NSA. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so he was right. I mean, at the time, it was a big investment for us to go. Kim and I both went. But, um, you know, of course, meeting people like you and all kinds of other people have, have definitely, I mean, I'd probably... Been at it for ten years. I wouldn't even be at this level if it wasn't for all of the stuff I've I've learned from people like Mike, people like you, um, you know, people in our local chapter. 
It's just, it's just uh, too many to name, I guess. Sure. Well, and because you've been at it 10 years, you know, there's a lot to be said in this industry about longevity. And so your business, I'm sure, over the years has had a lot of different sort of faces to it. But I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So I always like to know, what's the coolest thing that you're doing right now with your company? Well, I would say the for sure the coolest thing we have going on is this new book. Yes, um, it is fantastic. Can't Fly. Thank you. Um, so we've done, you know, self-publishing things. We've done, I think, four or five books. This is our first one with a major New York publisher. Um, it's full color, hardcover. It, it's the first one that fully incorporates what I feel is everything I have to offer. So it's I was say, you've done all the illustrations for it. Yeah, I did all the illustration. I did the whole layout of the book, the design. Um, pretty much every decision was made creatively by me. Uh, of course, I had a lot of input from the editor and stuff like that, but they gave me a, it's really rare to have such, um, such, such leeway that I had. So the um, book, the book is called Penguins Can't Fly and 39 Other Rules That Don't Exist. So tell everybody what it's about. It is. Yeah, it's about rules that don't exist. So it's about. The I, I thought all the rules existed. That's why they're rules. What are you talking about? They're there. OK, so there are certain rules like taxes and speed limits that exist. All right. But then there's <laughs> other ones, things that are like you shall. I don't know. I don't know that. I don't know. Wait, wait I'm going to interrupt you. I don't know yeah. that my wife agrees that speed limits the exist. Speed limit one? I'm not sure she agrees with you. She thinks it's just a recommended. It's a recommended number is what I think what she would say. <laughs> I, could, I could see that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So some of the ones that don't exist, uh, not eating dessert first. Uh, I know you, you've broken that one recently, I believe. <laughs> well, not, not um, just recently. In fact, in my first book, I talk about a guy who is, is a good friend of mine who worked for a big tech company, and he would take out, he would take out executives from his, his clients, and he would call the restaurant in advance and find out, what's your signature dessert? And they would always be happy to tell him, right? they go like, oh, key lime pie. And he would have reservations for his table of 8 or 10 at around 7.30. So by the time they're being seated, somewhere between the hostess stand and the their table, there would be somebody eating key lime pie. And he would go say to the hostess, wow, that looks good. And the hostess would always say in front of him and all his guests, sort of on cue, not knowing she was being set up, oh my gosh, it's our signature dessert. And she would talk about that it had been written up in Bon Appetit or whatever. And then he, as they would sit, he would say, bring us three of those and eight forks. And everybody would laugh because they would think he was kidding. And he would look at the table and go, no, life is short. We eat dessert first. And nice. he became known as the guy in the Silicon Valley who ordered dessert first. So I've never thought that was a rule. Yeah. Well, I, I, when we were kids, we didn't. But then, you know, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa says, no, it's going to spoil your dinner. And then the, the sad part is when we finally get a chance to write our own story as we're adults, most of us don't even consider it anymore because it's been kind of beaten out of us. So, so the, the book is kind of a, it's a combination of some fun ones, you know, like thou shalt make your bed and um, not eating dessert first. But then there's some other ones that, that hopefully make people kind of think, you know, that thou shalt hate Mondays, you know, um, thou shalt get a job with benefits uh, thou shalt be careful all the time. So stuff like that that kind of challenges things that, that maybe people don't always think about. So try to have a little bit of fun with it and, uh, like I said, incorporate the, the illustrations that I have and create something that's, that's a little bit different than what people are used to seeing. And this translates really well for associations and corporate events where you go in as a speaker and inspire people to, to get over themselves, right? Yeah, it's really a lot of it is about innovation. You know, corporations and, and companies are interested. Like, how do we innovate? How do we 
how do we become Netflix and not Blockbuster, you know? And so there's just, again, you go back to kids, you go back to curiosity, you, you go to asking questions. There's just things we just, we stop asking questions and we just do what we've always done or what we think we're supposed to do, what we should do. And there's just a lot of opportunities for people who are willing to challenge what everyone else is doing. You know, you see it in, in industry over and over again, the ones who do what's the opposite of what is, quote, normally done, tend to be the market leaders pretty quickly. So if someone's listening and they're thinking, I need to get my hands on Penguins Can't Fly, how do they get the book? Well, they can go, obviously, to any Amazon, Barnes & Noble, um, any any of your fine retailers of, of books, IndieBound, wherever. You can also go to rulesthatdontexist.com. That's where we live online, or I should say information about the book rules that don't exist.com. You can get a free preview, check it out. Um, and uh, we have all kinds of goodies for people who order and things like that too. Cool. Well, Jason, I, we could talk about your book and, and your company and your delightful wife all and your kids all day long. And I'm sure everybody would be thrilled. However, one of the things is, is I think some of the best entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So I love to mm-hmm. ask my guests, not just what are you doing that's cool with your company, but what's something you see someone else doing that's really cool. Uh, that's a good, oh boy, where do I, where do I, okay, so here's one. So I had the, um, the, the fortune, good fortunes of uh, hosting Jason Hewlett. He's a, a fellow speaker, uh, probably one of the best entertainers I've ever seen in my, in my life. Absolutely um, was, one of the most was, entertaining uh, shows. He, he was speaking at our chapter and we invited him out a, a day early. He stayed with our family and we hung out and he's got a new project coming out uh, it's out now it's called uh, father time and it's a really cool blend of his his musical talents his singing his impressions and it combines stories and anecdotes from his life and it's kind of a play the father time is like a, a play on you know time he's a father and time is ticking and and oh it's just it's so good and just at his heart for he, he bills himself as a G-rated entertainer, which he's had a lot of pushback from people that he needs to be a little bit more edgier. But his heart is really to create something that is just good and funny and, and amazing that is uh, appealing to all audiences. Which, to me, you know, someone like Jerry Seinfeld, that's why I like him, because he doesn't always have to use, um, you know, vulgarity and, and stuff. As much as I love Louis C.K., don't get me wrong, but <laughs> I also love the ability to just take those little everyday ordinary things and, and, and make them fun. So, so father time, that's, I'm really excited about that project for, for Jason. Cause it's really cool. Well, and Jason Hewlett is probably one of the best entertainers I've ever seen. I saw him put on, you know, about a 90 minute show and, you know, he apparently walked away from having a headliner show in Vegas because they said, you've got to go, you know, edgy and he wouldn't do it. I mean, he was a, it, he's it a G rated entertainer. Million dollar, yeah, deal that he walked away from. And I mean, I, I have huge respect for that. I think, you know, when you talk about cool things entrepreneurs do, walking away from a headliner show that would be multi millions of dollars because, you know, you don't want sexual innuendo and you don't want to swear and you just don't want to go there because it's not who you are in your soul and you want to keep it as a family friendly show. And the producers say, well, then you're out. And he says, okay, I'm out. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know how many people would do that. I mean, I, I would have to have a hard 
hard talk. Like, well, let's see. How far can I go down this road? Yeah, I was no, just going to no. say, I, I could start swearing like a sailor on this podcast if, if it was going to get me more listeners. Hey, so in addition to being a great observer, I also think that entrepreneurs find a way to give, great entrepreneurs find a way to give back to the greater good. So what do you do? Uh, well, you know, something that we did from the very get-go. So we've always been about helping adults be more childlike. But Something that has been a passion of ours is trying to help kids have good childhoods. Um, and so from the very early days when we were making practically nothing, that was the thing. I, I always wanted to give give checks to organizations that help kids. So like Make-A-Wish and, and St. Jude and stuff. And I knew that, that when we were starting out, it was such a hard slog. I'm like, this is going to take forever. So what we decided to do is that we donate 3% of every sale of any merchandise we sell so like not the profit it's actually built into the product price that that goes to these organizations we have six of them so every every other month every i guess it's twice a year we write we write a check to these organizations based on what we've sold at speaking gigs or on our website and uh, it's been a you know we haven't donated a million dollars but it's added up over the years it's really kind of cool um to do that and then you know, along the line, we decided, you know, money is one thing, but let's, let's go, let's put our, our time in. And so for uh, at least a decade, Kim and I have been wish granters for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which sounds really exciting and as if we're like rich benefactors, and it is not, it's not that at all. <laughs> it's basically we meet with families who have kids who are in life-threatening medical conditions. We're kind of the liaison between them and Make-A-Wish, and the coolest part is we get to just like say, what's your big dream? What do you want to do? And just get these kids dreaming. And then we bring it back to Make-A-Wish and say, like, here's what they want to do. And, and more times than not, they figure out a way to make it happen. So it's, it's, like, it's, like the, it's the coolest thing ever. I mean, it's such <laughs> amazing that we have enough. Because we were like, we want to be involved. We're like, we'll stuff envelopes. We'll do whatever you want to do, want us to do. And they're like, oh, would you like to be a wish granter? And we're like, uh, I don't know what that is, but that sounds amazing. Yes, I would like to be that. Well, it's interesting how you talk about you give the small percentage from all, all the, the merchandise sales. So we've never talked about this, I don't think. But when I started speaking and I was doing it part time, part of what I talked about was sort of finding your way to give back. And, you know, my wife said to me one time, that's a beautiful sentiment. But, you know, what what are we doing? And I thought, well, we give to our church. And if the firemen call, you know, and, and mm-hmm. you know, looking for donations. And she said, yeah, Girl but that's cookies, right. Know. Yeah. And she said that that's true. But that's not the message you're saying. And so she challenged me to come up with a way to to do something. And at the time they were opening a brand new children's hospital in our area. And our daughter had gone through some surgery at a children's hospital. We had to travel to another part of the country. And so we did the same thing. We took a small percentage of all my speaking fees. And at this time when we did it, I had a full-time corporate job. So the extra money was things like vacations, right? So it was like, yeah. oh, it's just a few percentage points. And and we started doing it. And when I went f- and, and we created what we call the Kate Singer Endowment for Cranial Facial Surgery and Research. And it's both at the Austin Dell Children's Hospital that had opened seven or eight years ago. And then soon after that, we started uh, splitting that small percentage between that and San Diego Rady Children's Hospital, where Kate had been operated on as a child. And uh, it adds up over time. And I actually call it compounded generosity. Because, you know, they, they talk to these people just getting out of college about if you start saving for retirement now, the compounded interest over a lifetime, you'll be able to retire with this huge chunk of money. And, and of course, none of us do it, right? But that's what, right, they, right. that's what they say you should do, and it's the magic of compounded interest. And what I've found over the last seven or eight years is there's magic in compounded generosity. It doesn't have to be a lot. 
if you just give a small percentage of, of one side project or, or your main thing. And, and it was funny when I went full time as a speaker, there was somebody who said, well, you're not going to give to the charity anymore because you need that money to support your family. And mm-hmm. my wife was the first one to say, you know, it's a small number. We're going to keep doing it. And, yeah. and we did. And like I said, it's added up now to, to real money. My brother actually said to me one time, he goes, Tom, we don't come from a family that has their wall, their name on the wall of a hospital. You know, how, how did you do that? Yeah. I'm like, I don't know. We did it with a $50 check, a $100 check, a $250 check, a $75 check. But it compounded over time. And we did little fundraisers on Kate's birthday every year. And, you know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's, that's a real number. And mm-hmm. we're not going to stop. You know, it's, it just keeps going. It's just part of the business. And in good times and bad, it's just built into it. And yep. I didn't know you did the same thing. But, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get out there and talk about, you know, how this compounded generosity of time or money or just support really adds up over a lifetime if you pay attention to it and you do it consistently. So offline, we'll probably have to talk about this because I want to use you and Kim as an example when I, when I speak on this. Yeah, no, that's cool. I mean, I think we'd all love to be get to the point where we're, you know, Bill Gates money someday and oh, sure. just be like, oh yeah, here we'll build, we'll build your next hospital. <laughs> but yeah, there's something to be something about that the the habit, creating the habit of starting of like, you know what, it might not be that big of a deal to start out, but it's the ha- like, it's exactly what you said, the habit, the compounding generosity. I I love that that concept. So, and, and that's actually, you know, what they found is a lot of people say, well, when I'm rich, then I'll give mm-hmm. back. And yeah. one of two things happen. Either they never get rich or they're just not in the habit of it. And they've created yeah. a habit of, of, of saving, you know, versus giving. And, and so it's, it's starting young and realizing that's just part of your life, I think, is a, is a great example. So I, I applaud you and Kim for doing that. I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Likewise. Likewise. So, Jason, if somebody listened to this episode and they think, I need to know more about the Katekis, I need to know about Jason and, and Kim, I need to find out more about how to escape adulthood, how do they find you? Well, conveniently, conveniently enough, they can go to escapeadulthood.com. That is where we live online. Um, you can find out about the book, the speaking. You can see my portfolio of all my art, the things that we do there. We have a lot of fun things we're doing with our community. Um, it's all there. Um, I will also point out, we talked about adultitis, and of course you can get to this through Escape Adulthood, but if you go to adultitis.org, there is a 12-question intake. It's completely free, and you can find out if you have adultitis, and if you do, where you are on the spectrum, because there's different stages of adultitis. Like, so, like the far end is like grumpy grandpa or something like it's that? It's like full, we call it full-blown adultitis. There's <laughs> stage one, stage two, and full-blown adultitis, so... Um, most people find themselves in stage one and stage two, but you know, you never know. So that is a fun site. I always like to point people to, cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of fun, fun stuff, but there's a lot of truth in it too. So it's, it's kind of cool to point people to. Well, Jason, you're a good guy and a good friend. And I am so honored that you're a guest on cool things entrepreneurs do. And for those of you who listened, thanks for tuning in. We'll be back in a couple of days with another interview with somebody as cool as Jason. And in the meantime, you go on out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.